imagine uh, one night that you head down to uh, the embassy theater to listen to a, a full orchestra. Um, Dana, how many pieces is a full orchestra? 75? 100? 85. Okay. So double that. It's even bigger than that. Big, full orchestra. Largest, largest orchestra you've ever seen. But when you get there, all of the musicians are playing their own song. A few violins are playing some Mozart, and the saxes are playing jazz, and the trombones have some big band thing going on. There's no order, and it's just chaos. It's just, it's just noise. And then a conductor comes on, and he stands up in front of the orchestra, and he taps his wand, and a few of the musicians start to pay attention. A few of them begin to play the same piece. Not all of them, but just a dozen or so. And if you listen really closely, you can hear that one tune that's being played, but it's hidden It's quiet underneath all of the noise and all of the chaos. But slowly, one by one, new instruments start to join in and stop playing their own song and begin to play the song that the conductor has composed and conducted. And eventually, after you listen for what seems like forever, about half of the musicians are now playing the same tune, following the conductor. And you can begin to hear that tune a little bit better, but still just barely, because everyone else keeps playing whatever it is that they want. And eventually, the conductor stops everyone, and everyone who has refused to play his song They have their instruments taken from them, and they are cast out of the embassy, never to play again. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Father, I pray that you would help us to hear these parables that you taught us. I pray that you would allow whatever force and challenge that they have for us, that we would receive it, and Lord, that it would make us either new or more fully committed disciples of Jesus. Amen. So in the rest of Matthew chapter 13, it contains uh, six parables that Jesus teaches about the kingdom of heaven. Each of these parables begin with that phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven was Jesus's favorite topic. If you were living in Jesus's day and you heard about this miracle worker teacher named Jesus and you had heard he was in town and you went there that day and you listened to him, eventually you would hear him talk about this topic, the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus spoke about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, he was referring to God's rule, God's reign, his orchestra playing the song that he composed under the authority of his conducting. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, he was not only referring to that place that we go to after we die for believers, he was talking about a new reality that we can experience now if we repent and believe. If we will turn and stop playing our own song, no matter how nice a song that might be, and come under his authority and play the song that he is calling us to sing. 
That's what it means to come and enter the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news. This was Jesus' first sermon. And there's so much that could be said about the details of each of these next uh, six parables. Each of them certainly could have a whole sermon or maybe even a whole sermon series dedicated to it. But today, as we look at these uh, parables, I want to communicate three different ideas that these parables teach us about the kingdom. The first is that the kingdom has enemies. Secondly, the kingdom is hidden. And third, there is nothing more valuable than the kingdom. The kingdom has enemies, the kingdom is hidden, and there is nothing more important or valuable than the kingdom. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 through 30, Jesus tells the parable of the wheat and the weeds. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed wheats among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Now, this is one of the parables that Jesus actually explains. He tells his disciples what it means. And that explanation comes in verse 37. They ask him, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And Jesus answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. There are a lot of things that we can learn from this parable. My sermon would have been much easier if I would have just skipped this parable because there's just a lot in this that um, just really stumped me this week. There's wisdom here about being patient and trusting in God's timing. Uh, There's wisdom here about how to respond to evil in our world and how to respond to non-believers. There's wisdom about the importance of discernment. But what the main point that I want to communicate here today and to remind us that all of us will hear is that the kingdom of heaven has an enemy. The kingdom of heaven has enemies. We live in a time where there are two kingdoms present and growing in the world. There's the kingdom of heaven, and there's the kingdom of the devil. There are the musicians who submit to the conductor, and there are those who do their own thing. And here's the thing that we need to remember. The devil doesn't care what your own thing is as long as it's not Jesus. 
The devil doesn't care what song you're playing as long as it's not the song of the kingdom of heaven. As long as what you're doing isn't in response to and obedience to Jesus. The devil is glad for you to do really good things, to commit your life to a good and important cause, to be earnest and sincere in the pursuit of justice. The devil is just fine with that as long as you have not oriented your life your heart, your mind toward following Jesus. So Jesus tells us in this parable that from time, so that from the time that he came, he began to sow the seeds of the kingdom and he calls those seeds the sons of the kingdom. And from that time until today, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the devil have grown up together at the same time. They are growing side by side in the world. And sometimes, he tells us, it's even going to be hard to tell the difference between the sons of the kingdom of heaven and the sons of the evil one. Because again, the devil's just fine with you committing your life to all kinds of good things. Katie and I had had neighbors when we lived in Vancouver right across the street. They were wonderful people. They would sometimes remember our birthdays. If they had a bit of extra food for a meal, they would bring over extras for us. They invited us for dinner uh, quite a few times. Incredibly hospitable and loving people, not followers of the way of Jesus, but they were way loving and more neighborly than I've ever been. In their expressions of hospitality, they were far beyond me in neighborly kindness. In neighborly kindness, is a theme of the song that the conductor is getting at. And while neighborly kindness at times matches the notes of the song that the conductor is conducting, doing those things is not what makes one a son of the kingdom. Becoming a son of the kingdom comes from repenting and believing. It comes from turning from our own way, putting aside our own song that we want to play and believing that Jesus, the conductor, has a song that is better for the world than the song that I am playing on my own, no matter how beautiful that song might be. And if I play in response to him, if I follow him, that he will use my instrument and my song, whatever it is that I have to offer will become useful to him and to his kingdom. But in order to do that, we have to repent and believe. That's what's required to become a child of the kingdom. Jesus has sown the kingdom of heaven. Right now, the kingdom of heaven is growing in the world. It is taking root. In some places, uh, it's growing very much underground. The, the, The roots are growing. In other places, the the shoots are coming up out of the ground. In other places, there's a lot of fruit growing in the kingdom. And there are some places that needs a whole lot of pruning because it used to bear fruit and it doesn't anymore. But the kingdom of heaven is growing. And the kingdom of the devil is growing too. And the curse of our digital and media age is that we see it everywhere. We know perhaps better than anyone else in history the reality of the kingdom of the evil one. It's as plain as can be. But Jesus says there are also sons of the evil one that are hard to discern. It's difficult to tell the difference between the two. And this is the place where this 
parable needs to challenge us. Have you repented and believed? Have you turned from yourself and placed your hope and your trust in Jesus? Or are the good things you do, the very religious-y things that you do, are they all some sort of outward act to make people think well of you or to make you feel good about yourself or whatever it may be? Harvest time is coming. And God is going to remove anyone and anything that does not belong. And everyone who insisted on playing their own song, no matter how beautiful that song may be, will suffer. There will be a fire of God's judgment, regret, anguish, heartache, pain, weeping and gnashing of teeth as all of the evil and the evil ones are removed from the kingdom so that the sons of the kingdom can shine. As the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of evil now grow up at the same time, this parable is clear that those of us who believe, who, who, who have repented and believe who are sons of the kingdom, it's not our responsibility to determine who the enemies are and to attack them and to root them out ourselves. Harvest time is coming, and God will do that in his time. Our responsibility is to commit fully to the kingdom of heaven, to know our own hearts, to know ourselves and to be sure that we have oriented our lives to Jesus, have trusted in him and our sons of the kingdom. Or to ask whether we're just playing our own song. Maybe a nice song. Maybe one that sounds good. But it's for yourself and it's not in the right key. The challenge for us in this parable is that We need to be sure that we have turned and believed and have come under the authority of Jesus to be sure that we are wheat and not weeds by repenting and believing. The kingdom has an enemy. There are two kingdoms, rival kingdoms in our world growing right now. In the second uh, set of parables here, the parables of the mustard seed in the east, it begins in verse 31. In these parables, we learn that the kingdom is hidden. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. The kingdom of heaven is not something that is easily found by just going about our lives and not paying attention. The kingdom of God is not advertised or televised or capitalized or politicized. We don't see it. It's hard for us to see it's hidden. The kingdom of heaven is not something that's promoted or encouraged by our world. This parable tells us that the kingdom of heaven is hidden. And that's a problem for us, I think, especially as Americans, because we like big, flashy things that are impressive. We're the creators of Hollywood, right? We believe that the most important things are the things that everyone sees and notices. Things that are big and impressive are exciting. That's what we love and think are important. But 
that's not what Jesus says is important. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and like yeast. The kingdom of heaven and the things that belong to that kingdom are things that appear to be small and insignificant, but even though small and insignificant have great effect. Mustard, when it takes root and is planted within a year, completely take over a field. It was, a, it was considered an invasive species in Jesus' day. People didn't want it around because it just took over. Yeast, when it's placed into the dough, even though it's hidden, once it gets into that dough, you can't get it back out. You can't see it anymore. But it does its work by expanding and making the flour rise and making yummy bread. So I'm not sure if you've heard or not, but there's going to be an election this year. I don't know if you've heard that. That news to anyone? In every four years, we have to remember that the kingdom of heaven is like mustard seed and like yeast. The kingdom doesn't come and it's not preserved or protected by getting our preferred candidate to become president. And while we all agree with that and say amen to that, we also know that like the rest of the world, our anxiety rises at this time. Our anger towards the other side rises at this time. Our frustrations and our fears all rise just like everyone else. The election this year for us as followers of Jesus is a test to see whether or not we believe that the kingdom of heaven is like mustard seed and yeast. What does your anxiety around this season, what does that say about whether or not you've repented and believed the good news? Will your conversations around those who disagree with you over this next year, will they reflect your understanding of the relative importance of a national election? Does the way that you engage on social media about the election promote true things or false things? Do your actions reflect that as followers of Jesus, that you believe that following him and his way is most important, even more important than winning an election. This is a test for us. Do we trust that the kingdom of heaven has been planted like mustard seed in the ground? Do we believe that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast hidden in a batch of dough? Or do we believe that the kingdom of heaven is somehow dependent and preserved by the government? Jesus was offered a worldly, impressive kingdom He was offered it out in the desert by the devil. And there were times when the people were ready to make him king. What better way to make your movement stick in the world than to become king? But he refused because he knew that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, hidden in a batch of dough. In the context of the whole Roman Empire, Jesus' earthly ministry was hidden and unseen. It would be hundreds of years before Jesus' earthly ministry actually took hold and made a real visible impact on society. Hundreds of years. His three or so years of earthly ministry from a worldly perspective was small and insignificant and unimpressive. And yet, here we are, 2,000 years later, Praising his name. The kingdom of heaven is like mustard seed hidden in the ground. 
It's like yeast hidden in a batch of dough. And in order to be a part of what God has in mind, in order for you to come along with God and be about his work in the world, you don't have to accomplish great and flashy and brilliant things. You don't have to come up with some brilliant plan to change the world that will be marketed and televised. What Jesus says is, if you want to participate in the work of my kingdom, here's what you do. You start right where you are and you love your neighbor as yourself. You pray for your enemy and you do good to anyone who hurts you. You follow the way of Jesus and you turn the other cheek. When you give to the poor, you don't announce it. You do it quietly so that only the Father notices. You allow your relationship with your Heavenly Father to transform your anger into mercy and your lustful heart toward purity. You live a life of simplicity and you extend hospitality to strangers and you forgive your brother whenever he sins against you. It's in these small and insignificant and unimpressive acts that the kingdom of heaven, like mustard seed and like yeast, take root in the world. The kingdom of heaven is not big and flashy. It is hidden. It is small. But the kingdom of heaven will be established on the earth. The mustard will take over the field. The yeast will do its work through the batch of dough. The kingdom of heaven is inevitable. It is coming. It cannot be stopped, but it will not be televised or commercialized or politicized. So we pray that God will give us eyes to see the places where God's kingdom is here and to give us the courage to join him in the work that he's doing in those quiet and hidden and seemingly insignificant ways that Jesus say are actually important, are actually the work of the kingdom. Third, the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything you can possess. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything else that we can possess. And when we discover how valuable it is, we will repent And with joy, turn away from our own agenda and enjoy and receive the kingdom that's given to us. These parables tell us that if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven, we have to believe that it's more valuable than anything else that we have. In both of these parables, someone finds something surprising and new, something that was unexpected. They found it and they realized that then acquiring this thing was more valuable than anything that they had worked for or gained or lived for or earned up to that point. In fact, anything that they had gained and lived for up to that point was now only useful to gain this other thing. 
The man that found the treasure realized that all of the things he had ever acquired, who knows how old this man was, and maybe he is a really rich man, but anything he had ever acquired now had to be sold because this treasure was more valuable. The merchant, a wealthy man who had spent his whole life buying and selling and using money in order to gain riches, he found one thing, one pearl that was more valuable than all of it he had gained. And he realized that all he gained before now became useful to him to acquire the kingdom, to acquire this pearl. If we return to the the metaphor of the orchestra and the conductor, your instrument, your skill, whatever talent it is that you have, whatever you have acquired up to this point in your life, they now become useful for the kingdom. It's not that your instrument and skill are tossed aside. It's just that you stop playing whatever song you want and start using it to play the song that he wants. Your song, no matter how beautiful and good it might be, if it's not his song, just contributes to the noise and to the chaos. And so we have to submit to the authority of the composer and the conductor of the kingdom of heaven. Friends, there is nothing more important than this message. Nothing more important to your life now and to your eternal life than this message. The kingdom of heaven is dear. Repent and believe the good news. The word repentance means to turn around, to turn from the particular bad things that we do. We, we know in our Christian life that we fall each day. We acknowledge those failures, and as followers of Jesus, we repent. We turn around, we turn away from them and toward Jesus. It's important to remember that repentance isn't just turning away from something, it's turning toward Jesus. To not only consider what we're turning away from, but to also be sure that we're turning to the one who can bring us life and healing and forgiveness. Repentance is is reorienting our hopes and our priorities and our desires, reorienting our entire lives toward him and following him. And when we repent, we are offered forgiveness. The sins that we committed, that we repented from, are now covered over by the sacrifice of Jesus. In one place, Jesus says that this act of repentance is like being born again. What a wonderful phrase. The gift of new life. Remember that being born isn't the end of life. It's the beginning of a whole new life. This is repentance. It's the, it's the being born again. It's turning to something new. And we're called to believe. To repent and to believe. Believing does have to do with knowing and agreeing with the right things, the true things about who Jesus is. About right doctrine. It's also believing and placing our faith and our hope in Jesus and in the way that he teaches us to live. It's it's believing that we can trust him and follow him and that his teachings for us are the very best for our soul and the very best for our relationships, the very best for our mental health. Following his teaching is the very best for our anxieties in this life. 
Following Jesus may not always make our life easier. It certainly won't make us rich and famous. But believing in him means that we believe, that we trust that his instructions for us will make us into the kind of people who are able to stand when the storms come. Believing in Jesus means that we trust that Jesus' teachings about how to live our lives are the best and most practical teachings about what it means to truly live a joy-filled, abundant life. We believe that Jesus is the smartest person that ever lived. He knows more about your soul than your psychiatrist. He knows more about human relationships than the best of counselors. He knows more about your your, your marriage and your, your relationship with your children than your pastor. We believe that Jesus holds all of the treasures of knowledge in himself. And that his instructions for us then are not a burden, but are an invitation to a new way of life in the kingdom of heaven. We believe that his way of life that he calls us to and teaches us is the best course of life that will bring us true joy, true happiness, and true life to our community. We believe in Jesus. We believe that if we hear his words and if we put them into practice, then we are like a wise person who builds his house on a rock so that when the storms come, we will stand. We believe that when we repent, and turn to him, that we receive that double cure to save us from the wrath of his judgment and to make us pure. Friends, have you, have you come under the authority of the conductor who is composing and conducting the song of the kingdom of heaven that will be played and sung forever and ever? Or are you just playing your own song? This is an invitation to you today to consider whether you have truly repented from your own agenda, your own plans, your own sin and mistakes that you make, and have you turned to believe in Jesus? If that's something that you have never done before, you've never had that experience before, we invite you to come forward today. If you come to this side of the altar, one of our leaders will come and to pray with you and talk with you about that, or you can come and talk with me after the service. Or for the rest of us who have made that decision before, but we know that in our lives there are things that we need to repent and to turn away from, and we know that even though Jesus is our, is our Savior, we, we've trusted Him with this eternal life, we're not so sure about this day-to-day life thing, that That enemy that I have, I'd like to be in control of that. I'd really rather not follow Jesus' teachings. I think that my way is a little bit better for how to deal with that person. I think that my way of dealing with uh, my my children is a little bit better. I don't quite trust Jesus' teachings. I don't quite believe that he's the smartest person that's ever lived. The best teacher about what it means for us to live our human life. And we don't quite believe that. So is there any way that any of you need to repent and to believe in who Jesus is and to commit to following him today?